Welcome to the Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan O'Neill. Today we have a lovely guest. This is Peter Richwise. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it perfectly, even though he warmed us up. Um, so we're going to jump right into this today. Peter is a director, editor, cinematographer. He is the full package. Uh, he's going to discuss with us what he's doing in Phuket, how we got here, and uh, some interesting stuff that has been happening over the past year, especially in the uh, industry of cinematography. Um, so without further ado, let's get this started. Okay, Peter, thanks a lot for joining us today. And as we discussed kind of prior to the podcast, um, we're going to walk through your journey um, from university in, in Hungary, moving to London, to Dubai, and then over to Phuket. So let's get us started as who was young Peter in Hungary and how did you get into cinematography? Well, uh, I grew up in a kind of mid-sized uh, uh, town in, in Hungary. And um, um, even during the, the primary school, secondary school, I was the kind of artsy guy, you know, who does, you know, drawings and paintings. And um, I, I run um, the, the school radio, which was like an alternative music radio. Um, uh, playing between the breaks in the, in the classes and stuff, um, I did the first exhibition in the in the class. Uh, sorry, in the in the secondary school. So I was like that guy who was always like uh, attracted to art forms, every 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 kind of art forms. As I said, from music, painting. Later on, this kind of transformed into uh, uh, art performances and and more contemporary art movements. And uh, and I was a reader. You know, I, I loved reading. I've, I was. Um, Kind of not not the guy who, who um, necessarily fulfilled the curriculum, although I was kind of okay with that. But I was like really um, doing um, serious researches at quite early age uh, in terms of uh, philosophy. That was one of my main sort of um, um, point of interest and and contemporary art, and um, and uh, that's how that's how I grew up in in that little mid town, um, um, uh, mid sized town in Hungary. So age of 18, out of uh, secondary school, straight away I moved to Budapest and, um, and I became part of um, the sort of contemporary art scene there. Um, and um, as I said, we were doing exhibitions and, um, you know, uh, essay readings and, uh, you know, that kind of uh, really nice uh, early 90s. Um, a kind of intellectual circle of uh, Budapest. Um, was this uh, is this like a typical childhood growing up in Hungary or, or were... Like, so I'm, fr I'm from Canada, and usually yeah. in, in Canada, I would say, like, probably the art, the people that go down that the art route is probably less than 15%, and most people are on yeah. the athletic side, the business side. That's kind of yeah, what yeah. we're pushed towards. Yeah. What were you pushed towards, like, in your small town? Well, I wasn't really pushed, actually. My parents uh, were always just kind of let me do what I want to do, so they were not expecting me to be... Um, going down the path of, of their sort of life career and stuff, so I was I was just a free person, um, and um, uh, I, I I wouldn't say it's an average upbringing yeah. in Hungary at all because uh, even there you know normally people pick normal you know jobs for uh, for uh, for career path, um, so I, I enrolled to university studying philosophy, which was kind of uh, um, quite limited that time. I think there was like fifteen people allowed um, and. 2000 applied or some crazy numbers and stuff. So I got accepted to this uh, quite prestigious um, uh, university where 
I pretty much dedicated the four or five years of my life of, um, you know, reading and researching in libraries and stuff. So my life was like a couple of hours, uh, you know, I hang out in a university that was also quite sort of free flow and wasn't really a restricted um, sort of institution, although it was quite sort of prestigious. Uh, and uh, what was the, the, the name of this university? Elta. Elta. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was reading that you were, you were going to Elta, but did that... The social science sciences did that transition into the the film, the art side in that in the same university, or did that come later? Um, it was actually one of the first eye opening for me the f for the film. Uh, even in in my my hometown, we used to go to um, we had a circle of people, and we used to go to the film clubs, you know, which was showing only art movies from you know from Tarkovskis to the Godards and um, you know the Bressons and stuff. So I kind of grew up in that environment. Um, I always had affinity for, for the art form of the cinema. Especially in Hungary, we, we had like two types of, of uh, 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 theatres, you know. You had your blockbusters and you had your, your art house cinema network. And, uh, and practically I haven't really even stepped into blockbuster theatres at yeah. all. So I kind of really exclusively grew up on art house cinema. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, of course, watch television and, you know, I, I watched... But what, what you know, how, how would you define like art house theater, like independent films? Yeah. Were they primarily Hungarian or was it international? Well, it was pretty much international. A lot of them from that sort of Eastern bloc. So movies I, I, I still have a bit of recollection of, but I, I don't even remember who made them and stuff. And uh, um, uh, like visually and, and, and content wise, I, I have a recollection, but I, I can't even identify some of the yeah. directors anyway because they were very sort of on the fringe marginal kind of um, you know from Kazakhstan and and uh, whatever but we of course we had the French the, the Italians the German the, the, the whole independent uh, kind of art house cinema which was obviously mm. huge from the 70s 80s 90s and how does that work stuff? growing up in, in Hungary were you primarily you're, you're just learning Hungarian and, and, and English or are you also learning other languages um, naturally in Hungary, or was that more because of the film side you would try to pick those up as well? Uh, well, that's kind of um, goes in a in a funny way because when I when I started to study philosophy in the university, we had like half a year to kind of complete our um, uh, exams on on philosophical readings. You know, uh, I was very bad with languages. That was one of the main weaknesses for me in, in secondary school. So I had like six months to basically bring m myself up to the level to read philosophical text um, in, um, in, in English. And, um, and I built up a quite big vocabulary, which was quite academical and, and philosophic-driven yeah. with a lot of Latin um, uh, terminologies and stuff like that. So it was quite funny because when I moved to London, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm in Soho, this guy who... who speaks like half Latin, half philosophical, academic language. With a and British accent. With a, not in a British accent, no, with a Hungarian accent. Oh, okay, you know? okay. And I'm in London and people looked at me as a freak, you know, from some old movie or something. And with this Dracula -like accent, yeah. the Hungarian accent is always kind of identified as a Dracula accent because, you know, the first um, um, Dracula actor was Bela Lugosi, who was a Hungarian mm. actor, moved to Hollywood in the 20s and stuff. And, and, and he just had a strong... Hungarian accent, but 
because of that X and later this transformed into the Dracula X and I'm gonna suck, suck your blood. Ah, you know? okay. <laughs> so, so this so is I where that derived from. Yeah, it's kind of coming from that. And later on the other other sort of actors and stuff uh, mimicked it and uh, and became almost like a sort of um, uh, you know tonality of, of a Dracula speech and stuff. So I had that sort of uh, uh, vocabulary with a, with a quite strong uh, Dracula accent. So it was quite um, uh, challenging the first few months to get my messages through in, mm. in Soho, London, in a bar uh, you know, to, be able, to be able to communicate <laughs> exactly. with, with these people and, and them to understand you exactly. and how, how did you uh, make the decision to go from from Hungary to London was that a job opportunity what happened exactly uh, no I mean I'm when I was in university I was like 100% devoted to, to philosophy as a, as a you know as my career path and stuff and somehow the bridge of accident uh, uh, kind of took me to uh, for on a sort of personal reason uh, one day I just took my hat and and I said okay I'm going to go to London probably for a year or two or something I don't with know. no no intentions no goal just kind of taking yeah, a, I mean, taking a break almost yeah that yeah it was like I, I didn't know what I'm going to do okay. the only only thing I I had in my hand um beside philosophy study I was kind of I used to have a girlfriend she was a model and uh, um, somehow I, I got a, a film camera and uh, I started to take pictures of her and her friends liked the photos and and you know I started to take a couple of like these model portfolios but even there I wasn't doing like your regular kind of beauty shots and stuff but I tried to put concepts in it and and uh, and with that I built up some sort of portfolio of photography still photography and I had one small uh, uh, you know actually I, I I got a medium format camera in this process so. but with no formal training at this point this was kind of well, I, I had I had training because I I studied aesthetics, for instance, in in um, um, in the in the university. Yeah. So I knew a lot about image making from the aesthetic point of view. Even uh, in film, uh, I, I took um, uh, quite a few seminars on film aesthetics and stuff, where where I kind of realized um, you know the de depth of of, of art, uh, the, the the film as an art form and stuff. So this sort of um, um, kind of uh, um, transition from 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 academic path to a, a, a more practical. sort of practical yeah. uh, thing um, kind of opened my eyes when I moved to London and 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 I realized like yeah philosophy was a kind of hidden unemployment scene in Hungary that time mm. and um, I realized like yeah I'm, I can just use the sort of artistic strategies I I, I grew up in and, and let's do this sort of fashion advertising photography as a as a kind of joke you know i mean it uh, almost i, I yeah, thought I like it, it was too lightweight it was too um uh, kind of degradating my my sort of so-called self-identity in a way you know was there like a, a key milestone or a certain point in which um th this is essentially a hobby at some point that's turned into the profession in london where now you've gotten a job and you're given an opportunity yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, that was the only thing in my hand. Yeah. So um, even my philosophy degree wasn't like 100% completed. And, and that was like, even if it was, it's not much you can do with you know yeah. a, uh, philosophy diploma in, in London. So only thing I could do, I just had this portfolio and I was going to model agencies and, and stuff like that. And, and luckily in a few months later, I was uh, working on on, uh, on London Fashion Week's uh, that time is just as a kind of paid um, um, initial like job. An, in, an intern essentially uh, no I, mean, I was working with one of the main guy actually uh, uh, who was uh, uh, one of the main um, um, 
catwalk photographer, and I'm McInerney. So I was doing like catwalk photographies with uh, alongside him, uh, with him under his kind of patronage, uh, and which was amazing. I mean, that was my sort of first step into the whole sort of fashion yeah. world. We were doing backstages, we were shooting for the houses. So it was, it was a, I, I had like first row view and of the upcoming season. At that, that time, so we're talking, is this like 1997, getting late, like yeah, it's, early it's, 2000? Yeah, yeah 97, and, and 98, um, yeah. What, what camera were you using back then? Well, for my sort of studio creative work, I was using like, a, um, I think I had a Zenz, no, at that time I had a Rolleiflex already. I was shooting with a Rolleiflex medium format called SL66. Uh, medium format but for for the catwalk we were using canon but still mm -hmm. on films for for many many more years so this is back so you're you're back more focused initially at this part on the contemporary photography yeah. and and fa and the fashion side as well um when did this transfer uh transition into the cinematography the videography and, and bring this kind yeah. of all together well as I said, I studied film aesthetics, mm -hmm. um, and um, and I always been a sort of film buff. And, um, and 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 if you ask me, like early stage of my my photographic career, like how do I see this evolve? I said I see if 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 something, then I want to make films. That's that's my kind of uh, way of out of photography and the commercial world and and fashion, which I obviously enjoyed, and I I spent a good twenty five years in it and stuff, mm -hmm. but. But I knew it, it, it's not going to last forever. And, uh, and the reason I, I, I kind of emerged into fashion photography because in a commercial field, that's the one gives you the most sort of creative freedom, you know, in terms of especially editorial works. You can create, you know, a lot of uh, you know, creative concepts. So it's not just, um, um, you know, um, 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 liaising with uh, advertising agencies and stuff, but you can actually can be on your own and creating concepts. Out yeah, of and your, your consistency from, as, as you're explaining as a child and going to these more like... Yeah. Um, artistic um, movie theaters you've again continued to stay away from the blockbuster content and focus yeah. on your passion yeah. as well has that ever changed down the road or have you kind of always followed that north star of what you were you know passionate about um yeah of course now i um, you know it's 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 it, it would be kind of uh, utopian to, to think of like um, i want to be an art house uh, cinematographer or a, a filmmaker and stuff because that sort of art form, it, it's pretty much dying out, unfortunately. And, uh, and um, there's no real funding for it. There is no real distribution for it. You know, the, the new generation of, of, uh, of uh, moviegoers that don't, they don't really understand. Yeah, that well, I mean, now your, your top box office selling films of all time, if you look at the top 20s now, yeah. like that have way surpassed your Titanics and even, even old movies like uh, Disney's Lion King, I think yeah. it's still top 15. But my point yeah. is those top 20s, top 30s are all Marvel. And I, 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 from the business side on the blockbuster and commercial side, of course, these uh, large studios in the U.S., they're going to yeah. create films that sell the most money. But then sure. you have directors like Paul Thomas Anderson that yeah. he's kind of stuck to his, his style. And it, there is that artistic nature to it as well. I mean, this guy, he's only releasing a film every three or four years. And yeah. people that aren't familiar with him, I mean, you're talking Boogie Nights, you're yeah. talking The Master, um, There Will Be Blood. And recently, uh, his last one was The F uh, Phantom Thread. Yeah. Um, and I think he has one coming out uh, this year called Licorice Pizza. Okay. Um, that should be released, I think, uh, this month. Um, but my point, my point on that is, you're, you're, we're discussing that. Yes, 
the younger generation, they're more, you know, magnetic to the blockbuster hits. But yeah. those um, uh, you know, directors that are focused on their passion and their art, like Paul Thomas Anderson, um, they're still going to have th those hits. Do you still see a, a place for these directors or do you even see them fading out eventually? Well, they, they kind of establish themselves in the old paradigm, you know, so that's that's kind of keep their sort of impetus and, and uh, bring them over to the, to the new cinema. And, and they have sort of, ni sort of niche uh, um, uh, kind of fan base and stuff, but I, I don't see it. I mean, actually, outside of the U.S., certain countries like, like France and even in Hungary and stuff, um, you know, there is still sort of government initiati initiative of, of sponsoring cinema. So that's where, that's where you know, art house cinema was kind of growing out from, like basically mostly government sponsorships. And uh, before it was coming from government sponsorships, especially in the sort of Eastern Bloc, um, you had to be very sort of sophisticated how you, how you get certain messages across, and that kind of uh, expanded your creative. Uh, creativity uh, tool set um, and and um, I think that was the sort of uh, golden age of art house cinema um, and and certain parts of the world they still have some sort of government sponsorship and stuff but of course this is gonna be really more difficult to maintain on the global so when, when uh, we talk about and let's define art house cinema um, and I could be wrong. Like, would this go down the direct the 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 uh, films such as like Eternal Sunshine, um, yeah. films like you know anything by like Charlie Kaufman? Is is that more art house cinema, or is it something that even probably this myself or the audience wouldn't even know those films um, to understand that category? Like Sundance Festival or something. S yeah, I mean. Of course, Sundance is, is the great um, um, uh, sort of uh, platform for the upcoming filmmakers who try to get their voice across and try to do a little bit, um, you know, uh, sort of independent um, uh, um, productions and stuff. But uh, what I'm talking is, is it's even more hardcore art house cinema because this is still like indie, indie filmmaking. Uh, mm. and, and in a moment, like some of these, uh, most of these indie filmmakers, they make it in Sundance and, and stuff. They all of a sudden they get offered the studio deal. They get offered the you know the pathway to 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 the sort of commercial field, and it, nothing wrong with that. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm I'm also on the same sort of path, and I'm I'm not living in the past in that sense. But um, um, that sort of like let's say for instance you go to a Tarkovsky movie, which you know one of my favorite filmmakers and stuff, and and you know like the the, the way they stretch out time, for instance, it, it's just it's it's on 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 reproducible in today's cinema world because people would just walk out of the cinema straight away. I Our mean, attention spans uh, due to TikTok exactly, and Instagram it's, it's are non-existent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So mm. um, that sort of form, and and then you you even had like some sort of uh, a metaphysical meaning, especially when it comes to Tarkovsky in terms of compositions. You know, there was a you know a lot of way of transforming visual language into a metaphysical meaning and stuff. This it, it it hardly as exists today. I mean, uh, maybe in patches. Maybe I'm not aware of. Maybe yeah, like I don't keep let, up. Let's with take that. a movie for example, and I, I'm trying to uh, also connect your your perspective so people can understand your definition sure. of that. I think we could maybe take the movie The Revenant. Yeah. Um, and there's certain scenes in that would that would be art house. Um, if you're you're obviously familiar with this sure, film, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Um, especially the part where, um. 
he's revisiting the wife and it's it's there's no dialogue it's very yeah. artistic it's all visual is, yeah. that, is that the definition of maybe taking a blockbuster and taking art house and kind of piecing it together uh, definitely aesthetically i mean uh, that's a good point um i mean if if specifically if you look at that movie if you take i mean the plot is very simple i mean it's, it's almost non plot i mean it's it's yeah. very and it is very visual um, it's a cinematography masterpiece in a certain way. Um, I wouldn't say in the, in the art house cinemas used to be cinematography masterpiece because obviously they were on a much yeah. lower budget. These guys, um, 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 you know, uh, the Revenant was shot on a proper budget. Um, they had said they were on locations. They were shooting, shooting in the Alexa 65, you know, one of the state-of-the-art camera. So... In the yeah. art house cinema, never had that sort of luxury, or or very rarely. Maybe a couple of times a Fellini movie in Italy had like a proper budget, um, but uh, you know, like they most used to be like sixteen, you know, super sixteen. Um, very rarely even thirty-five millimeter film formats and stuff. So aesthetically, we can talk about it, but in terms of production size, it's it, it's a completely different ball game. You know, the Revenant to to an art house cinema, and. Uh, I, I took a filmography class in university, so that's a long time ago. So yeah. we were kind of um, brought up on films like Igmar Ig Bergman's uh, sure, yeah. uh, Seventh Seal beautiful. and oh, stuff beautiful. like this, yeah. and and uh, also uh, I I might butcher this, but it's 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 the it's from the nineteen tens or nineteen twenties. It's called the Bicycle, yeah, yeah. or the French Bicycle. Yeah, this yeah. is like really it, would that would that be also considered like uh, this this art house type of uh, production? We're, we're, now it's not a, it, essentially it's a silent film, yeah. but it's um, again you have to get your your message across visually and without dialogue. Yeah, no, I think that just probably translate of the technology of that okay. time and stuff. It wasn't an international inter, intentional sort of uh, expression. And so, but Bergman is a as a beautiful example. I would kind of consider maybe art our cinema started with the Seven Seals in a, in a certain way, mm. you know. Um, uh, Bergman had a couple of movies before, and and, and but that that was like his really this one is a, it's the, what is it? it's the uh, the knight or the knight pl is playing chess uh, with the chess yeah. with the, the the grim reaper death. Yeah, exactly. And what's yeah. funny is that knight there. A lot of people don't know that is Max von Sydow, Sydow yeah, exactly. which he's a, a very famous actor. Yeah. I mean, he's in Shutter Island. He's yeah. in oh, tons of movies throughout the seventies, but. Uh, I was looking at that. It, it was I was watching Shutter Island like mm. maybe I don't know two months ago, and then I looked that up. And I, I yeah, you yeah. know, you're going through as yeah, you're watching movies, you're yeah. googling the cast. We always get sidetracked. Oh, yeah. who's this? Who's that? And I'm like, yeah. oh my god, this guy was uh, the the lead actor in yeah. the Seventh Seal, which is but he became an icon of of Bergman. He, you know, he he was yes. in several other Bergman movies later as well. But obviously, because he's a he's a kind of natural talent and stuff, he made his career in Hollywood and became. Uh, you know, yeah. um, uh, kind of um, from from that essentially from from that because he is considered Ingmar Berg Bergman, especially when you go into filmography, is yeah. probably considered one of the best directors of all time, right up there with your Kubricks and your uh, yeah. Kur uh, Kurosawa. Kurosawa, Kurosawa, yeah, yeah. These ja it's Japanese. really hard to. Everyone yeah, has got a flavor of everyone has, but yeah, I, I I also hide it at Bergman's levels uh, in terms of cinematographic composition mm. the, the the woman that you know it's just incredible how he was so let, let's jump uh, jump ahead so you've you've done your you started to really kickstart your career in um in london and you stayed there for mm. seven years until yeah. you moved over to dubai why yeah. did you transition to dubai um 
I think it, it's a sort of seven, eight year sort of, uh, um, you know, life cycles when I started to feel like I, I just need to do something. I need to move away from London. I need I need some sort of change. And it's funny, I had eye on, on New York to kind of um, um, go there for a couple of months, try out my, my luck, my, my talent in New York, um, get new inspirations, work with new people in a sort of new market, new environment. And, and I, I just got a, a, um, an offer from Dubai to go and, and work there on um, um, some new publishing house and the new magazines they launched and, and stuff yeah. like that. And I said, okay, like six months, I can do anything because anywhere because six months was the sort of length of my contract. And, um, and after I went back for a, for a, a, a summer break to London, and I just realized that I've done. I, I I can't I can't I can't move back. I started to like um, you know the sunshine, seeing the sun, you know, in, in Dubai. In, yeah. in Dubai, and and it was a very unique time in 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 place and history. Uh, you know, Dubai in in early two thousands um, was a, a growing economy. Um, pretty much the the people we were hanging out with were like the same sort of age, very sort of entrepreneurial. Um, the social scene was very sort of, uh, um, you know, um, kind of small, but but but. But this is still the beginning of Dubai growing. Exactly, like you're exactly. talking pre-Burj. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Very much. I mean, yeah. and and I would assume even at this point that pretentious side of Dubai, Dubai was yeah. probably not even developed yet. Like it was still it was begin. They were built. You were there building yeah. Dubai essentially. Yeah, I mean, it, I, the whole city grew in in, in front of my eyes. It, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, especially coming from Europe, when sometimes uh, even in my country uh, used to be a joke that was a, a, a very famous building which was scaffolded for twenty years and stuff, and and they were scaffolding in the scaffolding and stuff, yeah, so yeah. because the scaffolding was uh, getting a yeah. bit ragged and stuff. So uh, comparing to that sort of environment, this sort of dynamism of of uh, of, a, of a growing city and 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 the internet. I, I thought London was international because most of my friends were like Italians, Greeks, and, and Germans, and you know, like the uh, whole uh, international sort of uh, setup of London. But Dubai just was a different level. Like uh, basically, everyone uh, from the five corners of the world basically were in Dubai. Well, everyone showing up to because the city is growing and it's you know exactly. it's coming to life and there's so much opportunity especially opportunity yeah. especially when cities are, are growing yeah. to kind of get your you know your, your feet on the ground as, as well and, and when you went over there now at this point are you are you running your own company are you kind of doing freelance consulting yeah. what was the the position you were doing so after this kind of contract expired with the publishing company um i was uh, I, I set up a, a photo studio um and um, couple of years later um, uh, i set up a magazine um, called desert fish yes which was um, the first sort of um, uh, contemporary conceptual fashion title in all middle east um, uh, later on got distributed into 50 countries and stuff and uh, and um, and and that was the sort of um, 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 creative outbursts of uh, of uh, of my works and other photographers as well who were invited to to be part of it. Uh, so beside that, I was doing my commercial work and and um, and um, Desert mm. Fish was the sort of uh, so the de Desert outfit. Fish was a it was like a like a, a hard copy magazine. Sure, yeah, yeah. That and was the, the the photography was taking place in Dubai. 
And Mostly, were yeah. you dealing with international models or local models? Um, no, I mean, it, in Dubai, we had uh, obviously international models flying in, not for my magazine, but for like just a, you know, a, a couple of months stay and stuff. Uh, but I also traveled quite a bit and, and, you know, when I was traveling, I did shoot in, in, in from, from China to, to, to the U.S. basically. Um, wherever we went, we did uh, uh, content for the magazine. And I had also other sort of talented people from the, from the region contributing to the magazines. We had uh, creative writers who were you know, doing their creative yeah. piece for the and magazine. And this ma magazine was distributed worldwide? Yeah, it, it got to like 50 countries later 50. on, which was quite, uh, you know, multiple, kind of nice. Multiple languages? No, it's only English. Only, only in English. English. Yeah. And so the reason I was asking that about the models in Dubai and understanding like how that all came together is, well, as you know, in, in these um, um, uh, more strict countries, yeah, uh, such as Dubai and the UAE. Yeah. Um, did you ever face any uh, barriers when trying to put this content sure, together sure. by local authorities? Yeah, I mean, th that was actually the whole sort of uh, uh, manifesto of the magazine. Uh, basically, in a commercial work, we had a lot of restrictions. And, and quite quickly, when you live in Dubai, you, you learn the culture sort of boundaries and restrictions and stuff. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, how the, the sort of uh, art house cinema was flourishing on, 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 on these sort of political restrictions in the Eastern Bloc, it's very similar how this magazine came alive to, to, to prove uh, creativity and, and, and work uh, out a creative language within the sort of cultural boundaries of, of, of a Muslim country. Yes. And uh, uh, we had sometimes kind of, uh, uh, you know, even funny um, um, cases when, for instance, the magazine was sitting on a censorship table for a year because uh, they just didn't understand like how desert fish, there is no fish in a desert. Like why, why would we call a magazine desert fish? Is that like disrespectful for the desert? And so, so it was like, <laughs> it was a, a long, like as yeah. I said, one and a half year of, of process of approval from the censorship to actually have the first stamp on the first issue and, and get distributed out. Later on, this became more and more um, uh, kind of uh, um, easy and, uh, uh, and streamlined. But uh, at the beginning, it was, was uh, pretty challenging and, and that it was unheard of. Like the first, and we remember when we were presenting to the censor, uh, it was like exactly how you would imagine from a sort of dystopian film. Like I, I go to Abu Dhabi, the Ministry of Information, and, and there is a guy sitting there in a room without a, without a window. And it's a long room uh, with a table at the end. And the guy has like a, um, a, a glasses on, which are like thick like a... <laughs> yeah, I understand. And with a mutawa, with a, a long beard, uh, 20 books on his table. <laughs> like, you can, it, it's like, it's exactly how you would imagine or you would set up on a movie um, to kind of exaggerate the, the, the censorship and, and its power and stuff. But eventually it turned out he was a cool guy and, and, and he, he loved the magazine and, you know, the ministry yeah, eventually. They, they just need to make, make sure that you're not crossing any lines exactly. and your intentions yeah. are, are correct Absolutely. and not trying to, you know, be controversial as well. Exactly. Did that, that affect your creative direction when you had to shoot? In which, when sure. you, you when you are doing the photography, you kind of had to think about, well, we want to do this, but I don't know, this could cross a line, so let's yeah. modify. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, at the beginning, it's easy, you know, uh, because that's, as I said, that was a sort of manifesto, and that's the 
point you try to prove um, to get creativity within a region with all the creative peoples around. Uh, but after a few years, you realize you have got this kind of distorted schizophrenic mindset. You know, when when you all of a sudden you hit up a, 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 an international title and and you see a couple kissing and you just think like, oh my god, like you know, yeah. like but this is still frowned upon today. Exactly, it's still taboo in, yeah. in Dubai. Yeah, and uh, and and all of a sudden you realize your mindset is 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 kind of adjusted to that that sort of culture and uh, and it's it's not natural. That's one of the reason I, I kind of left it, uh, not because they 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 not they were not treating us bad, you know. It's not like whatever, but just for for the sort of freedom of expression when it comes to art form, it does help. It did you limit you, but also you have to take into consideration the, these are their cultural values for thousands Absolutely. of years, yeah, and sure. and there's a certain line that if they want to, you know, maintain their culture, they can't just you know you know throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Um, so at, at that point is, so again, is desert fish, does the magazine still exist or did you essentially give it up? Yeah, no, no, we, we kind of stopped it. Uh, um, you can still buy on eBay and stuff uh, as like a, a collectible a collect item. <laughs> why, why did you decide to stop because of these, these, uh, creative barriers or was it something else? Um, I think it just kind of tired up in a certain way. Um, even the, uh, my path went out. We opened a concept store uh, in Dubai. I had I had too much things on my hand, um, and uh, um, I'm I'm still because we done nine issues, and I still kept saying like the, I, I want to finish with the number ten. Um, it's never really happened, but I don't know. Just as I said, bridge of incidents. It took my yeah. kind of uh, um, uh, career into a little bit different path, and and I still we were still doing another magazine which took it over, but a, a kind of um, uh, a magazine which was connected to a concept store I was working on, um, and uh, that was like art concept space merged fashion retail um, exhibition space photo film studio. Um, and and uh, we created this in a sort of creative hub of Dubai. Um, organizing a lot of events and stuff, and that entity also had its own publication uh, for like I think four or five issues we did. There, so. Yeah, and well, we we met initially probably I'm gonna say last New Year's at a, a mutual friend's dinner party. Yeah. It might have even been New Year's or maybe Chris, Christmas. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, it was a, uh, a birthday. Lena's, Elena. But um, um, when we were when we were talking at that that point. Um, you were discussing that you were also in Dubai in the production side of, of the video and you were involved. They have studios set up there. Sure. Therefore, you you have your hands on the, the technology. Were you involved in the consulting or creation of those studios or were you just using them for your content? Well, I built two studios, um, but they were predominantly like steel photography studios uh, catering mostly for steel works. Um, but yeah, they have they're quite a substantial film industry in Dubai, and um, that uh, mostly uh, driven from the commercial uh, mm. uh, market. You know, the Dubai caters for the uh, Middle East in general. But the lux luxury market. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, TV commercials, promo films. Uh, now they started to do obviously some narrative formats as well, and TV series and stuff like that. But. Uh, um, Pretty much the whole Middle East was channeling their commercial works through Dubai. Um, Saudis didn't have film studios that time, and it's a huge market. 
obviously, you know, Oman, Yemen. So everyone, the central hub was Dubai. Was there anything in Abu Dhabi? Well, Abu Dhabi, later on, they set up their FEMA funds and the kind of government initiative of, you know, getting tax rebates and different sort of programs, bringing their international productions and stuff. But Dubai was always the sort of hub of commercial and is it still like that today? Or is there any tensions between uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi? Or are they kind of brother-sister? Uh, well, that's a good point. Uh, no, that, that n- not tensions on a, on a surface, but obviously there is a, a kind of competitive spirit, I would say, between Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, and um, uh, Dubai still have the infrastructure way ahead of Abu Dhabi when it comes to this particular uh, uh, industry. So... Um, Abu Dhabi is more governmental kind of sponsored uh, when it comes to film uh, and production. Dubai is more just driven by the commercial market, which is naturally and organically grown in Dubai. Yes. So and, and are a lot of the studios, like the American studios or European uh, studios or producers or, or these bit larger studio companies, yeah. do they have partnerships in Dubai? Do they come there? Or is it more predominantly owned by Dubai companies? Yeah, yeah, it's mostly Dubai-based companies. Dubai uh, they're big studios. I don't, I, as far as I know, they're not really present in, Interesting. in Dubai. Yeah. Okay, so let's j- jump ahead from there. You're in Dubai, and then now you're off the grid, essentially, or let's say working, uh, working. We're, you're here in Thailand. Now, yeah. when we initially were discussing, I, I might be wrong, but if I do remember, yeah, sorry, these couches, you'll end up, next thing you know, <laughs> we're going to be like down here, like <laughs> talking. That's the problem with, I mean, yeah. you slide out. Sometimes I just put my foot up just to be sure I don't slide out. Yeah. Um, but you, so you, you come over to Thailand. Was the intention to... Um, stay in Thailand and, and, and set up business in Thailand or did you, let's say, get stuck in Thailand and let's avoid all words um, w- with uh, the C word uh, just because YouTube uh, fucks, yeah. fucks <laughs> up your uh, uh, your view count and they get all pissed off. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to get banned. But um, when you came over to Thailand, was that the intention or did you kind of just get stuck here on a vacation? Uh, no, actually, it was it was before uh, all started, <laughs> before that started, before the war. <laughs> before the war. Um, no, it's um, uh, basically I I just for for the various reasons I mentioned now, and um, also I I realized like you know this sort of path of of fashion and commercial work has to has to progress. So it's kind of. Uh, you know, I realized like as much as I enjoyed it and I enjoyed my life in Dubai, I enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, my friends um, and, and all the sort of creative activity I was doing. I knew my my purpose is much more uh, uh, motion pictures than still photography. Uh, I, I was doing like, you know, music videos from an early age. I was, you know, doing, uh, you know, TV commercials here and then. So beside uh, still photography, I always uh, been um, in halfway um, in in um, half foot in a in a sort of motion pictures um, yeah. uh, uh, industry, but um, I realized you know commercials are are not really satisfying my my um, interest and stuff. And being a film buff and and growing up on art house cinema, as we mentioned earlier, um, I always knew I want to do narrative filmmaking, and I see the the limitations of that in Dubai. That that's not something uh, I could see 
to pick, take, up, take up as a challenge and, and turn it to a sort of desert wish project of, mm. of working with that sort of cultural environment and turn it into a narrative field because um, obviously the financiers coming from sort of governmental entities when it comes to uh, Arab cinema um, or it coming from private sector and, and they have their sort of uh, take on that. So um, I, I quite early realized if I if I want to get into narrative filmmaking, that's that's not going to happen in the Middle East. H- how do you define narrative filmmaking? Well, uh, you know, uh, anything in a in a sort of from the short to the feature format, uh, um, um, TV series. Um, okay. So non-commercial fiction, yes. drama, action. So you're getting into yeah. you're, you're a scriptwriter. You're yeah. Full-on production, exactly. essentially at this yeah. point. And. Now, you, you've chosen Thailand as that destination. Did you initially come to Bangkok, and why Thailand? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, like, very hesitant. Um, I, I, I traveled pretty much extensively to five continents, and uh, I had a few other places in mind, uh, even Hungary, which has got an incredible film industry. Um, after the UK, is the second largest film industry in 2019, I think, in, in Europe. Um, so it was quite sort of tempting to go to Hungary and 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 maybe try um, to to uh, get my career um, to that direction, but uh, I used to come to Bangkok quite often, and I always I always thought I want to try at least for a few months to to live in Bangkok, you know, or, 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 and I know there is a sort of indie film um, international indie film community in Bangkok, which I was. Um, in contact with even before I moved here. So it, it was just a tryout. I said, like, listen, you know, worst come to worst, I had to go back to Dubai or I moved over to Shanghai or maybe go back to Hungary, but just let's try. So um, it, it worked out quite well. I was working on a couple of short films. I picked up on a couple of uh, commercial works as well. Um, so it was quite promising, and I thought I, I, I made the right choice, and I still think I made the right choice. And um, when all of a sudden uh, things started to get a little bit more locked down, <laughs> then yes. I, then I. Uh, so, w- which year did you arrive in here? One sec, maybe put your mic down a bit. Nineteen. Just so, just so I won't block your face too much. Yeah. Okay, that's that's okay. Two thousand. So you came here pretty much right before the war broke out. Uh, one year before. Yeah. <laughs> right before yeah. the war. Yeah. That's, exactly that's what we're gonna before. call it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and but okay, before we'll jump into that, I'm just gonna step take a quick step back and, and especially into your uh passion and career for filmography. So, I read that you won an award, I believe, in 2014 for the IFF or the Alchemy. Yeah. Yes, let's talk about that. What was that all about? Um, that was actually how my fashion film career started. Um, I was doing like still photography and we built a quite nice uh, set in my studio. Um, with a very talented team of, uh, of, of creative people, set designers, uh, art directors, uh, which was a sort of medieval uh, steampunk stroke uh, alchemist kitchen. Uh, and um, we built this all out of um, sort of junkyard um, um, pipes and uh, um, metal frames and uh, you know cables and and stuff and uh, before the because it was originally pre- uh, for a, for a still photography editorial uh, for desert fish and um, a day before i said this set looks amazing let's just do a couple of um, shots with the 5d i had a, a friend of mine who was a, a you know a camera guy more than me that time 
Um, he came in, he did a couple of shots um, um, of the set with the models. As I was doing steals, we were doing the, the, the motion picture version of that. And later on, we edited together to a, a, a two, three minutes um, um, fashion film, which was a fairly new format back then. Um, it wasn't really picking up uh, um, in terms of big brands and stuff. Yeah. It was still a sort of experimental phase of, of uh, fashion film. And um, I put it on YouTube, and um, and um, and uh, Fred Sweet, who is a, a organizer of the the biggest um, uh, fashion film festival in, in San Diego, he sent me a, an, an email asking if we can show this we can on on the on his film festival, and I felt very flattered, and I didn't even know there is such thing as fashion film festival. So he showed in that year, and later on the next year they did a big um, international film award, which was uh, in in Hollywood um, uh, with the red carpet and, and everything, and uh, and and that's when it won for for um, for the best fashion photography fashion uh, category, yes, and stuff. So that was an honor of him, and and later on, um, you know, um, another film of mine won an, another awards there. Um, it 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 was uh, incredible because um, you know it it's it's the biggest fashion film festival and and normally people submit their work there and uh, I was kind of invited. I, it, 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 I'm I'm still very grateful for yeah. Fred because after that kind of made me down the path of of creating a lot of fashion films uh, uh, and uh, and I enjoyed as much as as um, the editorial format of fashion photography because again it. it it, it gives you a full palette of, of creative and Also, th this builds your portfolio, and now you have credibility, sure. and it puts sure. your name on the mat, and I'm assuming from that, people start looking for you. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that <laughs> necessarily. No, I mean, that was more like a, um, a kind of industry acknowledgement, you know, um, in a way, um, or, um, you know, like the industry internal uh, yeah. sort of appreciation. Um, but... Yeah, definitely was an experiment. I, I I also went to San Diego. I met fellow filmmakers there, and I realized how extensive is this format already. That time was, and it was it was just a good way of of reassurance of what I'm doing. It 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 maybe interests some people and stuff, but it didn't really bring commercial work. It bring, brought commercial works locally, obviously in Dubai for other fashion designers and and um, and stuff, but. Um, it's not like all of a sudden I, I got a studio course. So <laughs> these types of films that would go into this uh, fashion film um, um, category, let's say, is there any narrative or is it pure visual? What are, what, are the, what are the messages that you're trying to convey through the content? Well, that's the beauty of a fashion film. It's, it's, it's completely down to you how you take it. You know, Some people just purely um, um, doing a visual concept, you know, based on some sort of, um, you know, uh, idea which is you know whatever and they don't put any sort of narrative some people f put a whole short film in it and 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 sort of package it in sort of yeah. stylized environment and call it a, a fashion film um even someone like let's say um, you know shania used to do these big epic fashion films which like you know has got a narrative story and stuff so yeah it really depends that's why i'm saying it's a very uh uh um, free canvas and it really depends on what you put on it um, did you have um, your own message that a theme a direction that you were kind of trying to convey or and and that would be your interpretation but if I was to watch it everyone's kind of open and subjective to their own interpretation of what that 
piece of content is? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it has got some sort of experimental flavor to it, so it's not necessarily as strict as, uh, um, you know, everyone has to have their interpretation on it, just a, a, a free yeah. flow of visuals. And I had, my, I had my reason of shooting the way I was shooting it. I had my story behind it. If you have your interpretation, it, yeah. it, it's yours, and, and the, I'm not going to be offended. Could you compare that to, let's, and I could be completely wrong, but could it be comparable to, let's say... Uh, uh, skateboarding film filmography or cinematography art where it's like again if you were to film a skateboarder uh, a skateboard film and they go out and they're just doing their art again there's no message there but it's just yeah. the visual aspect of of what you're creating uh fashion films could have message i would say um it, it's not just about the clothes uh, that's the actually a lot of times you're watching uh, even on, on very um, uh, acknowledged um, film festivals, you're watching fashion films and, and they have serious, uh, um, even political messages sometimes. Yeah. Uh, um, so, as I said, it's just down to the creator how you want to take it and what you call fashion film. It's a very free-flowing format and, 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 and tool set. Um, obviously, by default, it should have some sort of style element in it. Uh, and if it's that style element is is the main um, message, then then that's it. If you yeah, want just to kind of direct yeah. the, the the narrative or the content yeah. or that that flow, there there's yeah. some sort of uh, structure. A yeah, I mean, a little bit. I do believe, like you know, stories are the most engaging uh, um, for for human viewers. So if you put a narrative story into a, a narrative into a, um, um, a a visual message, then obviously you're gonna engage the audience much easier than than just pleasing you know photography so let's continue on your story yeah. and um, um as you you've moved to bangkok and actually a lot of people they might not be aware usually thailand they win the commercial advertisers of the year quite consistently is that fair to say like the when they come out they do these commercial awards and it seems thailand's yeah. always winning them on the tv commercial awards yeah. i mean i, I I'm not really familiar with all the Thai advertising industry, and later on maybe we can talk about it. Why? But uh, that's I know all the information I have on that. <laughs> that's that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> no, but I do know. I do know. I mean, there used to be a lot of sort of uh, humorous Thai advertisings, which you can find, I mean. on, yes. find on. Find uh, on. It has got this sort of funky, uh, um, um, uh, comical element in it, and I, I I appreciate those ones, and some of them were globally. Um, uh, appreciated as well so yeah so now now we're here we maybe we'll pop this up later we'll see in post-production but mm. you came over and uh well first you thanks a lot you helped set up our lighting because we had absolutely no <laughs> idea what we were doing when we first got started um and then you came over and you you filmed the commercial that i was in and i, <laughs> I helped you with that whatever happened to that you sent me the link uh did it go to youtube or maybe it's something on 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 Thai YouTube and explain that project. What was that about? And I thought it was a pretty funny time. Yeah, it was actually. I was uh, approached by um, um, a Chef Care, which is like a charity-based uh, uh, um, food brand. Yeah. Um, available in in um, you know Seven Elevens and and some other um, retail outlets and stuff. But um, yeah, that was. Um, you know, be, be, I just love the idea of first of all you you're very camera ready. You you speak well. You know you 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 you're not gonna get shy from the camera. And on top of this, you were living above Seven Eleven, so, so we could uh, that we could tell a story with that. Obviously, yeah. And the food the was good. I I, yeah. I ended up eating it. The Talise was here. He, he ended up 
That was our dinner. <laughs> it was actually, it was almost, um, it, it was meant for 7-Eleven food. Yeah. Um, but the quality was decent. Like, you know, I mean, the, the way they set up the project, it's like Michelin star or, or kind yeah. of celebrity chefs doing um, packaged food, um, which is available in 7-Eleven for affordable price. This started as a, uh, as a um, charity project to, to give away uh, packaged food for, for the people who need and stuff, and later on this transformed into a brand and stuff. I think the commercial did go out, the trailer version of it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% But I haven't sure, seen it in any of the 7-Elevens, maybe in Bangkok. Um, uh, the product, the product. No, it is here. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I even they have they have posters and stuff. Um, always when it's a new, mm. uh, I kind of keep an eye on it because yeah. it, uh, I, I see it. And, yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on that on that that commercial because yeah. you're. I think you were saying Bukow was in it or yeah. I don't know if I I only saw the part that I was in. Okay, I, I can I send you the trailer. Yeah, may, yeah. Maybe I don't know yeah. if I've seen the trailer. May, it could have been because we probably filmed that back in March or something. Yeah. It must have been yeah, March, yeah, April, something time, like yeah. that. Yeah, no, there is a trailer version which all the sort of celebrities are part of it as well. There we go. I can connect, <laughs> connect with them, get them on the podcast. I got an in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so currently, what what are you working on now in, in Thailand? Well, I mean, I'm still pursuing what um, the main goal was, you know, of my, um, uh, you know, relocation. Um, basically, we're working on some sort of um, feature film project, um, which, is, which are in a pipeline and... Uh, Trying to pull together international network of people and probably produce uh, features here in in Phuket um, in a foreseeable future. Future, so that's the that's the plan. That's what I'm working on. That's what I'm here for. And um, and it looks like you know um, things are going in a promising direction. You never know until but is actually it, go into it's production. feature films like. Um, uh, uh, American feature films, Thai feature films. Well, definitely not Thai, and definitely not Thai language as 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 of now. Um, we just try to produce um, in Thailand for global market, uh, go global distribution, um, feature film content um, with the network of people who are not all of them based here. Um, some of them, you know, from um, you know other side side of the world. So that's what I'm here for. That's why my um, kind of. Uh, uh, predominant focus goes for and um, and beside of that I'm picking up commercial works here and then you know yep. sort of side side work these feature this feature film that you're working on obviously you can't probably release too much information due to NDAs or, or whatnot like that um, unless unless you're allowed to but uh, the question more is what is your role and responsibility in that type of project well um, the moment I'm kind of fluctuating I'm, I'm I, I'm I'm doing directing and I'm doing cinematography at the same time um, when it comes to short film or shorter formats and stuff. Obviously, at one point, most probably I have to make a decision what I do. So certain projects, I might be involved as cinematographer, certain projects, I might be involved as a director. I also do a bit of writing. We've, we've got writers room together. We work with, um, you know, talented people, probably more talented than uh, more talented than me when it comes to writing and stuff. So it's just a, a, a creative uh, hub of people who try to put our sort of will and effort together to to get a you know a feature film out in the foreseeable future so when you're working on a project and you're not wearing all the hats meaning you're you're not director cinematographer yeah. and and script and involved in writing and script writing but let's say you're just involved as the cinematographer 
Um, could you explain the process of developing the rapport and the relationship between the cinematographer and the director? How does that work, essentially? Because I could imagine um, creative ideas can clash and you need to eventually um, align. How, how, can you give some examples of maybe a time when you've, you've had that experience and maybe some of the challenges that you could face? Yeah. I mean, it, it can really vary, you know. I mean, it can be a commercial work when, when you just you, you meet the director just a day before the shoot or a recce day or a, or a scout day and um, can be a, a, a short film. For instance, I was uh, shooting a short film in Bali um, with the uh, uh, English director Mike McDowell and, and, and he flew me into Bali uh, just to do recce, just to get familiar with each other. Um, we were, you know, doing uh, readings with the, with the actors and it was a long process of, 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 of creativity, how we merged our vision together into a, into a short film. Um, but this sometimes it's, it's much quicker. Um, I did another short film which was shot in um, two countries in Thailand and, and Egypt with another director, uh, um, um, an Egyptian director who I um, flew from Dubai just in Thailand. We had a couple of meetings, but mostly we were getting into details why we were already on set and stuff because of obviously um, the, the possibilities and stuff. So it really depends on, on, on stuff. And as you said, the rapport is very important because um, um, you, you, you end of the day, you have to have the vision fulfilling the director's requirement. Um, and this vision has to sometimes merge into uh, their um, uh, directions and stuff. And um, until now, touch wood, it's always worked out good. I never, I never had a broke uh, relationship with the director, and, uh, and because I, I understand, because I, I, I can be on both sides of, of, yeah. of the of the process, so I, I know how does it work, and and it's nothing more fulfilling when when two creative minds come together and and you actually create something. There's some synchronicity, synchronicity, and, and 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 better than what you would do alone, you know. What is so. the the difference in the scope of work between the director and the cinematographer? Yeah, um, it's it's again really depends. Some directors really hands on um, in terms of what sort of visual mood they want and what sort of visual um, language they want to to create, especially when it comes to commercials, because in commercials, you know, uh, most of the time an advertising agency involved, and and you know you work you work at a treatment, you work with the mood boards, everything is pretty much decided, um, you know, before the day of the shoot. Um, but um, when it comes to um, um, narrative filmmaking and short films and stuff, um, you know, your vision normally uh, accepted by the director, and and he gives you a bit more freedom in terms of. Uh, you know how you want to move the camera up. You know what sort of lighting you want to do, uh, blocking as well. Most of the time, uh, some director works very strictly with uh, with storyboards. You know, so then if you if you have storyboards, the, you he wants to stick with that. Some some directors don't even have storyboard. If they have storyboard, they're just like a kind of reference for for us to understand the production process and stuff and how many shots we have. And how many actors? So it it really depends. There is no um, kind of key cut solution. It always depends on directors, their way of working, their way of practice. Sometimes they, you have to save them, you know, because they 
they they focusing on maybe the 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 performance of the of the actors and stuff um, which i think is one of the most important part of the director and you have to save them you know to make sure you have the coverage you have enough footage to to get that scene on in the editing room ready for, yeah, for and you're always going to be shooting more instead of less to make yeah. sure you have enough you know meat to work with in, in case if you yeah. have um, a time frame for it for sure yeah um where again we we were discussing before the we jumped on the podcast and i thought it would be very interesting because again we can talk about direct uh the whole technical side of it um but we want to keep this as uh high level for the uh, general public to understand as well and i think to connect your profession with where we're living in thailand is is to touch upon some of those experiences um with that in mind living in thailand the, the humidity is insane um maybe when you're dealing with the general authority in the in thai government there's certain regulations and certifications and licenses that you are that are required for shooting um, for example, in, in Phuket, issues with drones, drone footage. Um, do you have any examples of something that if someone wanted to be a cinematographer, director, or just in general, come and do production in Thailand, some things that they should prepare themselves in advance, um, whether, again, that has to do with the environment or even the political side? Um, I would say, uh, to be honest, I, I, as I said, I've worked in several countries around the world, and and. Thailand is pretty much production friendly, you know. It depends on the size of the production you do, obviously. When it comes to, um, let's say, a feature film, you you have to have the same as, as pretty much most of the countries. You have to have your script approved by the authorities and stuff. So you submit that. Normally it takes one to two months. Um, they skim it through or they read it through. And Even and if it's going to be a foreign film and it's not sure, a Thai yeah, film? Yeah, sure, uh, okay. yeah, for sure. But... Coming from Dubai, I have to say this is a much more easier process than, than yeah. dealing with authorities there. Uh, even you mentioned the drone permit. You know, I mean, in Dubai, it's it's nearly impossible to shoot with drones. I mean, you have to have the, the government official on set um, if he shows up, because sometimes they, they just forget to show up and stuff. On set, uh, during the shoot, they have to approve all the footages. You have to send them the dailies. Um, it, it, it's comparing to that in Thailand is, is a much more easy. So when you're process, trying to get yeah. your content across, you're not going to be facing as many uh, um, issues. Yeah, as I said, it depends on the size of the production. So for instance, we shot a, 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 a um, short film here a couple of months ago, just pretty much based on, you know, we were shooting on private um, um, lands or private properties so we were not blocking roads and stuff so we didn't have to deal with the authorities and stuff but for instance we had a very kind um, um, and, and, and surprising um, help from uh, the, the brand new Phuket state prison who uh, allow us to shoot outside their premises with the guards in a shot opening the gates, walking out so they were incredibly helpful i could not even imagine anything like this in dubai or most of the part the, of the is world. this the, pr the new prison up here they yeah, have the, here the, the, the bang joe bang joe yeah, yeah that yeah. thing's massive yeah it looks like a film set it's actually kind of uh, i don't know inspired are there the prisoners in there at this moment i thought it's brand i don't even know if it was open yeah, it is open. It's oh, like it is. apparently it's already fully occupied. Fully <laughs> occupied. This place, it's not this. I don't know if it's maximum security or, or but it's huge. I, it it looks like a film set. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's, it's it could be Alcatraz, you know. Yeah. <laughs> film it set really looks like those walls are probably. I'm gonna say eight, ten meters. Yeah, high, yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's beautiful, and 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 the, the prison um, uh, director who 
was kind enough, and I would love to say thank you to him in this form, in case if he's watching the podcast. Yeah. It, 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 he let us shoot, not inside the prison, but we didn't even need to inside the prison, but uh, basically our, our main protagonist just walks out of the of nine-year uh, uh, sentence, and, um, and we could film that with their original guards in their uniforms, opening the gates and he walks out it was it was incredible and they you, they probably didn't have to do a lot of pre-planning i would assume you should kind of can even show up that day and be like hey can we do this we went there for one uh, day Me before okay. or one one meeting before we explained what we need and um, and um, and that was it it was in, in, it was yeah really that incredible. well i think that's thailand in a, in a nutshell as well they're very if you, if you ask politely and and you know you're you're quite fair they're they're quite happy to help out uh, yeah, I mean, for instance, on the same shoot, and even for me, this was one of the first when we did like a kind of, you know, mid-sized production for a s small short film, but at least, you know, we had to deal with different sort of locations and stuff. So I had I had different um, uh, experiment, you know. Sometimes, for instance, I, I, I had one location which was a, a grocery store, you know, and... Um, and there was a, an old lady in a grocery store uh, close to where I was living here in Bangtao. And, um, and she, she seemed very helpful. I went there and I told her, like, we're going to come and shoot a couple of hours, a small scene in a theme. And, oh, it's amazing. So we go there and um, set up the camera. And um, the, the neighbors coming, they're showing their cousins or, or, or granddaughter and saying she's also been in film. And the whole community was very supportive, you know. Yeah. So I thought, like, they're so nice, I'm going to give them a thousand bucks or something um, as an appreciation of their help and stuff. And all of a sudden, the, the daughter shows up, you know, <laughs> of the old lady. Yes. And uh, she's just gone nuts, you know, like... How can I be so disrespectful with one thousand? But this place should cost at least ten thousand, and you oh, know, like that that yeah, ticket, yeah, typical yeah. Phuket uh, kind of thing. So yeah. we got the prison for 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 free from a very help, helpful gentleman of the the director of the of the state prison of of Phuket. But the grocery store gun was like you know. Uh, a much more difficult task to, <laughs> to, to secure. Yeah, maybe she's, she's, <laughs> there was an opportunity she of saw course, and she yeah, took it as sure, well, right? Sure. Which, I mean, that can happen uh, anywhere in the world, I'm sure. For sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah no, I'm just saying, yeah, so yeah, I cannot say it, it's always easy and it's always yeah. helpful in Thailand. No. Yeah, it's. I, I can <clears> see that. that. That definitely, There's if there's opportunity, yeah, someone, she might try to take it as sure. well. Um, in, in terms of um, production and overall budgeting and cost, it's it's much easier to film in Dubai because well you can predict the weather, but in uh, in Thailand well to a certain extent and yeah. it's probably not going to rain or you could guess it's not going to rain but in in Thailand like the weather can be quite difficult to predict. Does that um, uncertainty of weather is that built into the the budget? Meaning just today we want to shoot but we can't so everything can get delayed a day, two days, three days. Well, uh, I mean. Yeah, Dubai is might not be the right example because obviously they they pretty much predictable weather uh, patterns there. But I mean, most of the world it, it, it's like you've got four seasons, and you know, rain and winds and and thunders can can occur in Europe and stuff. So in that sense, uh, Thailand is 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 pretty, you know, predictable in a way. You know, I mean, yeah, a couple of uh, a couple of hours shower can break down a set, but that's that's everywhere in the world. You know, that's not. That's not going to bring production here. What brings production to Thailand is is the affordability. You know, the the prices here it's pretty competitive comparing to the you know most of the global uh, uh, 
um, prices. Just in terms of like if you show up with a crew, yeah. food, uh, accommodation, yeah. even like uh, local staff to bring on, yeah. I mean, you're going to be yeah. saving uh, quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, the crew salary is obviously yeah. um, um, much more competitive uh, or inexpensive. I'm not saying cheap because, uh, you know, but it's it's competitive comparing to the rest of the world. And, um, and you know, location permits, for instance, if, if you go down that way as well, it's much more affordable, let's say, in Thailand. Sometimes if you want to shoot, like, let's say, a lot of times I had clients who comes there and, and they think, like, okay, th- Dubai, so let's let's have Burj Khalifa in the background. But I say, oh, wait a minute, you know, that's, do you have $20,000 budget to secure that, you know, to, to get, you even just put the camera down in front of Burj Khalifa. They're going to, tra- there's like a, a license. Well, there is no set fee, so, but it's, yeah, it could stretch easily to $20,000 for sure, yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, uh, that's not talking about police closing down the roads and stuff, but just a sort of uh, um, intellectual property on, on Bush Khalifa and stuff. So, um, yeah, in that sense, uh, Thailand is much more affordable and much more you know, user-friendly when it comes to production. What are, when, when shooting in Thailand, um, in terms of the religious aspect, in, in temples, uh, Buddha statues, um, how does... Are there any regulations that come into play when you're shooting this imagery? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not 100% sure about it. I don't think they're that sensitive for photography as, let's say, the, the, you know, the Muslim culture because they're, you know, like, you know, women. And, you know, there is a lot of restrictions Correct. and stuff. Um, I, I think here it's pretty, pretty, pretty open-minded. Pretty, right? and, um, yeah. pretty simple as yeah. well. Um, so recently you are telling me you're working with a client, Bill, um, and uh, Bill's the correct name, right? Bill, yeah. Yeah, Bill. Okay, so you're working with Bill, and he has a like a yacht stem cell clinic. I believe it's pronounced Demarst. Demarst. Yeah. Demarst. Yeah. Um, Demarie, yeah. I think, if you're French. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> Demarie. No. Um, working with him, what was this project you guys were doing? Because uh, I saw some stuff on your Instagram okay. at Bangkok cinematographer. We'll plug you <laughs> later. So I saw the stuff on your Instagram and you were working with our missing guest, Charlie. Shout out, Charlie. Where the fuck are you? Um, so we got Hans in the background here, but uh, helping out with on the ones and twos. But um, what was that project you guys were working on? It looked quite interesting. Um, basically, Build has got a new clinic uh, which needed a, a, a promo film. And um, instead of doing like the, the regular walkthrough of a clinic, you know, doing your B-roll close-ups of, uh, you know, beautiful environment, a patient launching in the, in the IV doctor room. doctor with checkboard. Uh, the and checkboards <laughs> and stuff. Uh, we decided let's have, let's have him as a face of the clinic because uh, obviously um, no one can represent that brand better than himself who invented the, that enterprise. And uh, um, he, he plays the part and he's... He's, he's, he's the main hero of the film and uh, and uh, the whole promo is showing his skills and and the concept you know just a little bit out of the box not your typical clinic uh, promo film but uh, trying to give it a li- different context when you put that production together would you consider that small me- medium sized production small, small, small production small. and your team uh, how many people uh, when you're build you're now you're building the team yeah how, how many people would be involved um that was like i think we were like three or four only uh, beside me so definitely yeah. small I, I don't think at, at the current infrastructure in, in uh, phuket you can do any even mid-sized productions you know i mean uh, um, we try to look on the final product you know better than what what we have 
the tools that to work with here in terms of equipment and lightings and uh, you know camera rigging and stuff like that. But um, we we're really working on the basics, like almost student film kind of category when it comes to Phuket. A Have little you bit ma- like Pattaya, filming in Pattaya. Uh, I don't. I haven't filmed in Pattaya, but I, I assume it's similar. Yeah. yeah I've um, seen some huge sets in Pattaya actually. Like if you go to the resorts and stuff. Yeah. They always have like they're filming Thai TV shows there. Sure, yeah, no. Well, the good thing with resorts. Yeah, the good thing with Pattaya, they can just drive down from from uh, Bangkok um, easily in a couple of hours uh, and stuff. But in, in uh, Phuket, it's a little bit more challenging. One or Hua Hin, would they have anything there as well? Mm-hmm. Set, would Hua Hin have anything? Um, no, I mean I did shoot in Hua Hin, but we we took everything. We, I I took crew from Bangkok um, to shoot there and stuff. Um, I don't think they have anything in Dubai. Uh, sorry, in uh, in Phuket, it's 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 pretty much with with Charlie and uh, we tried to put together a set we can work with. You know, a set of equipment we can work with on on small projects but when it come to even mid-sized productions we have to bring everything from bangkok and you're, so you're are you renting this equipment to bring it in for that production for sure yeah, that, yeah i mean uh, uh, like let's say on bills we were just working from what we have available here um and in our hand and and you know um but um if it would come to mid-sized productions, everything. I mean, you, you cannot even. I mean, Charlie used to make the uh, fun of it, like he, he has the only C stand in in uh, yeah in in um, all of Phuket. All of Phuket. <laughs> <laughs> so. Are you, do you know Russell at all? The guy that does casting and stuff here for. Uh, I budget? know of him. I never met him, but yeah, I, I know of him. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it, uh, it's very challenging, and it's kind of interesting because we were talking recently with 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 a couple of guys there, like how, why didn't organically grow a little bit more, uh, a larger infrastructure when it comes to filmmaking in in Phuket, and I compare it a little bit to to Bali, where I I've done still photography productions, I've done uh, you know short films there, like a eleven days short film we shot there, and stuff, and they are, they have a s- quite quite good um, infrastructure in you know you can you can rent hmi lights you can rent you know a crane you can rent you know basic stuff and if if not then you know key crew can come to jakarta uh, really similar but they have film studios and and stuff and i always compare bali with, with phuket in terms of you know the the footfall of of tourism and uh, and, and the industry is pretty much based on tourism and you know whatever and for some reason in in phuket the uh, uh, film industry didn't organically grow out during these years it maybe it's time for it now i don't know could it have to do with the fact that because phuket um does rely on tourism that a lot of these hot spots where you would want to fill there's just too many tourists like how are you going to go film at uh let's say um one of the viewpoints in quran when there's about 95 chinese buses running around be. I mean, when it comes to production and yeah. when they have the budget, um, they can shut it they down. They can shut it down, yeah. and and Bali is very much in a similar sort of shoes in terms of um, a flux of um, um, tourists there. So, I, I think it, it's just interesting because yeah, probably um, you know the major um, uh, requirements for videography and and film. I, I call it videography because that's that's the sort of market Phuket has so far. It's like you know the hotels, the the hoteliers, the the food and beverage, the the, the resorts. The um, yeah, it's uh, not too diverse in that exactly. sense. It's quite. It is uh, this eco ecosystem is revolved around tourism. So everything yeah. connected to tourism is pretty much the content you're going to be yeah. creating, unless you're some lunatics on a mushroom podcast on the beach. <laughs> then who knows? 
yeah. <laughs> but potentially, I mean, uh, Phuket has got amazing locations, so it could cater for you know for uh, mm. international global clients here and stuff, and and maybe that's the future to go. Where where has been the most um, um, your best ex- maybe uh, not even best experience, but most most interesting place to shoot in all of Thailand that you've been to? Maybe something very off the beaten path. Um, and I'm not even sure if you can share that or if it's a secret. Um, most interesting in terms of scenery, in terms, or in terms of scenery, of in terms of scenery. Uh, I tell you what, I had I had one one of the most amazing location, which was actually one of my most tragic day of my uh, um, uh, cinematographic career was in Egypt. You know where uh, we were shooting this short film. I was just mentioning recent, uh, like last year. Yeah, around. Last year or two, I don't know. I'm I'm lost lost time. <laughs> time. Yeah, nobody is a, is nobody a knows what became very. Sort it's still of 2019. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where we're all at. Yeah. So we we drove like I don't know 14 hours in a minibus with the crew down to uh, uh, most amazing locations in in um, in Egypt, um, which is no one actually shot there. Apparently, um, it was some military controlled uh, area. Looked like a CGI, um, uh, like sort of um, salt rock formations, white rock formations, like mushroom-shaped rock formations, you know, picking up to like, um, I don't know, four or five meters, even even taller. And um, and we went down early morning and we set up, we did, did a technical uh, recce a, a day before back in Egypt, everything worked fine. And, um, and the crew um, just plugged some sort of wrong um, cables into my red camera and... Uh, and the whole thing just blew up in a way as as, as I couldn't even roll a minute Oy. on that location. So it's a, the most amazing location ever I've been and you didn't in get terms of na- nat- natural uh, sort of formations and stuff. And I, I, I don't have one single shot of it, you know, a minute shot oh. of it, because literally from the first plug, uh, they just fr- um, fried the, the the motherboard. It was probably of the camera. like a conversion of voltage issue, and and yeah, on their, uh, their outlet to your later your on. We we found the guy who was hilarious in in Egypt. He, he came. Uh, uh, they just told me there is one guy who knows a lot about red cameras in, in Cairo. So we drove back to Cairo, and he came out to um, um, a, a little Starbucks with a, a, a plastic bag and one of these multimeter, you know. Yeah. which everyone has or whatever, and a couple of screwdrivers, you know. And he, he took my red camera, you know, apart in, in like three minutes. It was in pieces, you know. And I was freaking out, you know. The guy was like this, you know, like when, you know, like the, when the, you can see a, a plastic uh, bag is like a yeah. few years old, you know, <laughs> like he had all his tools set in this small little bag. So he took the red apart and, and he just got some little part of it and like said, oh, that's the one. <laughs> and he knows what it's and it's not only he knows that he had that little transistor whatever in his plastic bag <laughs> to replace you're and lucky then and since then my camera is running full um, I never had any breakdown and stuff but it was hilarious but that was that was one of the most amazing location I've ever been um, and what about in Thailand Thailand I love Bangkok I love shooting in Bangkok you know uh, I, I just can't have enough of that city specifically of, uh, where like uh, on the uh, canal just any the corner temple? of any Bangkok is just unbelievable I love it you know? how, how is it especially after Dubai you know Dubai is everything is is brand new so even when I, I used to go to the to New York I, I shot you know New York US quite a few times and in Europe and stuff uh, 
you, living in Dubai, you just lose lose that sense of textures and and layers of 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 um, um, you know meanings to the city, and everything just brand new and and built in the last thirty years. So, Bangkok has got the kind of everything. You know, you've got your luxury, you've got your grunge, you've got your there's layers. Uh, yeah, your, instead of Dubai is a single layer of you know. Yeah, yeah pretentious you know high-end brand new i think bangkok is very photogenic uh, as i said i i just used to go down um doing camera tests on on i used to live in sukhumit and stuff and just i, I take that footage out and i've got you know shots of people and the, the street foods there and i just just you can just watch it mm -hmm. it's amazing yeah uh, bangkok, bangkok especially it's where old meets new as well exactly. because there is still that new development in these yeah. The, the, you have your five-star hotels down, let's say, the Mandarin Oriental, and across you have the Icon, and, yeah. and and then you can go down the road, and there's probably the lady that's been selling the same Pad Thai for the past 50 years yeah. as well. But they uh, have other, those layers. Uh, other similar kind of um, 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 journey I had once, um, I, was in, I, I went to a shoot in um, New Delhi, and um, we decided on the last day, let's just go down to the Taj Mahal, which is like, I don't know, five hours drive or something from Delhi. And uh, and I, I I just it was like a comedy show like like what people carries on that the you know the the, the popular like the, the cities and the villages they don't stop they kind of grow one into the other and uh, and it's just incredible like how you know like three people on the bicycle you see a, a, a big truck with with the with the top chop off and loaded with uh, another truck it's just hilarious you know <laughs> like that that sort of visual uh, uh, journey you know from uh, um, um, New Delhi to Taj Mahal it's it's also on top of my here list in Thailand too right <laughs> you see that a lot here yeah a yeah. family of four on a bike yeah. Yeah. four or five on a bike and <laughs> yeah even here you have the dancing bear when you stop at the traffic light and it's just hilarious it, it I highly recommend to anyone to do dancing that. bear in New Delhi yeah, 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 like what is that? You know the the bear they bring there and with the monkey and they, I mean, it's ah, a bit okay. of uh, animal torture and stuff. But they actually have a bear, a real life bear. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, uh, I had one, so I the, the the car stopped at the taxi we were in, and just the guy came with the monkey and the bear dancing. And right. Well, that's I think that's the, the clip we use at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> just throw the monkey in there. What we must we probably gone two hours. No, we're on one thirty almost. Oh wow, um, that's good timing. See, it, it goes easy, eh? Yeah, it goes. Easy. It goes real quick. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It we it it's um, once you get going, it just it, it gets quite easy. Yeah. Now, no, I mean you are amazing with I, asking I, questions. I, I keep it going. <laughs> oh, I try. I try to keep it the flow going. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll wrap it up now because we did a cert. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So there was one thing I wanted to know, something that was like recently on the news. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, the incident with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I yeah. kind of wanted to know how does something like that happen? So the cinematographer got shot dead. The director got shot as well. Yeah. So what would the protocol be on set for something like that to not happen? Like why did the prop can't go off? Sure. I mean, that was an indie production. So if it's a union production in the U.S., these things would, could never happen. You know, I mean, even U.S., U.K., Europe, there is very serious regulations when it comes to uh, gun, um, you know, um, usage on set and stuff. And normally you have a gun handler who's got a license and there's a lot of it. I don't want to be conspiratorical, but that's a very weird story. Very that's weird. a very, very weird story. And um, I, I cannot even visually imagine how, how this could happen. 
accidentally. You know, I mean, as I said, I don't want to be conspiratorical, yeah. but it's very strange. Yeah, very when strange. I heard that story, especially, I can understand one person get shot, but how do a bunch of people keep, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And um, the, he was filming, he was practicing f aiming at the camera. It's like a shot aiming at the camera, mm -hmm. and both of them were like behind the camera. Yeah, but then isn't it just one bullet? Oh. So is this like the Kennedy conspiracy? Yeah, exactly. There's a second shooter? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously it went political. It, it became the gun control issues in the U.S. and all that sort of thing. So that's why I'm saying it, it's just something. But the part that makes no sense is why is there ever live ammunition in any of the guns exactly. on set? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that just be like, if you don't want to get shot, none of these guns have... Well, yeah, no, that I part I don't heard. get. Yeah. I never heard anything so that that's that's a bit confusing. Yeah, that's that's a good question. A good question. And it's it, it's kind of shaked up the whole film industry in a way, and and there is a lot of people, you know, who is talking out now, and you know, as I said, it became yeah. quite sort of political and, uh, and stuff. But you say that's an indie film. It wasn't like a. Hollywood it wasn't a set. big union film. Then I, I, there's no way that something yeah, like this know. would happen. Alec Baldwin. I don't know. Maybe his career's over. He's only filming indies now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we'll right before we wrap it up, uh, one last thing we wanted to touch upon as we, we always end the show is, um, what's next for you? What do you have in the pipeline that you can share with us? And, and do you see yourself staying in Thailand? What are the next steps? Um, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm just going with the flow, especially in today's uh, world and today's uh, sort of, uh, environment, um, and, and stuff. And, I don't know. I, I really hard to tell. I, I do see myself as uh, Thailand is offering opportunities um, when it comes to um, productions and 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 my plans uh, for future. Um, but it's really hard to plan these days, you know. And and sometimes yeah. just something pops up and 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 you pack and go and stuff. But as of now, I I see myself. As I said, I went to I went to Dubai initially for six months, and it became fourteen years. You know, so it's like yeah, it's. I mean, in in especially now with the current situation, exactly. I think probably most people have the same answer. And and Thailand's a great place to be stuck. Absolutely. Meaning, like you know, and, and there's a lot of uncertainty coming up over the next year. We don't know what's going to happen, so it's better to just kind of yeah. not overthink it and just if you got work and you can keep moving forward and just stabilize yourself until maybe things turn around but uh i think most people that are, are answering that question are in the same situation of just what are well i'll just if this is working i'll keep doing this i don't don't think too much far ahead because travel is just a nightmare right now no i mean uh, for me as well I, I i i kind of been seduced into the urban living uh, in my entire life I, I not only lived in cities but i lived like that center of cities from budapest london dubai bangkok always like center not even suburbs and stuff so since I moved down to Phuket and living in the countryside, I, I can't see myself going back to the city. So even if anything comes, pops up as a sort of job or, or project and stuff, I don't see myself uh, uh, permanently going back to the urban living and stuff. So that's what actually this whole new era of um, uh, new context of um, um, global situation brought me. Into. Yeah, and so it's, I enjoy a lot. It's great in these... These environments again. I, I lived in uh, Shenzhen, a city of fourteen million, and yeah. and uh, when you're in there, you don't really notice it. But it's when you leave. Yeah. And I came to Phuket as well six years ago, and I went back. And when I went back, it was, or even if I go to Bangkok, um, it's a bit overwhelming with 
too many distractions or noise, but not literal noise, just like, and I don't want to say hippy-dippy frequencies and all this shit flying around. It's just like, here is so peaceful. It's so quiet, you know. um, There's no rat race. I mean, we can sit up and you can have a, if you have a a meeting with your client, you can go meet them at a coffee shop. You don't need to throw on a suit and go into the, you know, the 20th floor of the Chrysler building in in New York. I miss that sometimes. Even even that's nice to throw on the monkey suit like once in a while. But the second you put it on, after you leave, you're like, get me the hell out of this thing. Like, I got to throw some shorts, throw a bathing suit on and go to the beach. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we, this will be your camera. Um, if you can get, just tell everyone um, how to find you, which uh, w- your website and I think your Instagram would probably be the best way. And then we'll throw up some post-production stuff. Yeah, actually probably the easiest. It's a bit long, but easy. It's Bangkok Cinematographer. Yes, I think, I think that's the one. Fear. We'll put it there. Don't yeah. worry. Because <laughs> yeah. my name is a bit complicated, so it's hard to make a note of it, but it's all connected, and my website is there. Too. Yeah, so they can just contact you through your Instagram, send yeah. you a DM. Um, ladies, watch out. Don't be sliding those DMs like that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my girlfriend yeah, handled my exactly. Instagram. Yeah, so, so <laughs> if, you're, if you're sliding in there, that's his girlfriend, you're getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, well... Is that, am I on this camera? I, oh, I can see myself. I didn't notice I was on the TV the whole time. Oh, okay. Uh, that's <laughs> everything for us. Uh, this is the Fruiting Body Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan O'Neill. Today we are with Peter, and he shared us his whole story about cinematography in Thailand. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, turn that bell on, smash the subscribe. And yeah, that's it. I don't know how to end these things, so we're out. Yeah, we're out.